Happy Monday, Tucson, and thanks for keeping it locked on, Wildcats. As always, I'm your host, Mike Luke. Fortunate enough to be joined by a regular co-host, a guy who I heard the complaints, I heard the reaction, and you know what? Mr. John Schuster is back with me today, and get ready for it. John Schuster is going to be back with me tomorrow. Happy Monday to you, John Schuster. It's a pleasure uh, being on board, and uh, thanks again. Last week, I was a first-time guest. Now I'm a regular. You are a regular. I don't know what's going on. Exactly. It's like we got renewed. The, the network renewed us. But you know the like thing that. about it, when somebody like yourself, mm -hmm. who has been consuming Built Bars already All on right. a day-by-day -day basis... You're going to be built for something a little bit more to what we're going with, and that's what we're going to be talking about right here on Locked On Wildcats. So for everybody out there, before we kind of get into the nitty-gritty, the uh, first thing you're going to want to know is that Arizona got a commitment from Utah transfer Pell Larson. Now, you might say to yourself, Mike, you've been talking about Ty Ty Washington and Arthur Kaluma. Who's Pell Larson? Pell Larson's the best shooter in the conference. This year, you look at the numbers from three-point range, from the field, a guy that averaged about nine a game. I'm not going to blow smoke here and tell you that he's Steve Kershuster, but this is more in line, I think, with what you saw at Gonzaga the past 10, 12, 13 years, where, or even at Arizona in earlier years, where, you know what? I need to have two or three shooters out there to be able to space the court. Even if they're a Mike Luke that stands in the corner, it makes a difference to kind of have that guy out there from a spacing perspective. And you being a guy that's watched a lot of Gonzaga hoops over the years, that's certainly something that they rely on. They are a team that works a lot on geometry. They're big on angles. They like to open the floor. They know how to move the ball, and they know spacing, as you noted very well. And uh, a guy like this who can fill it up from the outside has the potential, I think, in an offense like this, once it makes sense and once it, once it clicks a little bit, to get his share of open looks. And then, once the defense has to uh, pay attention to somebody like that, then it presents the possibility of opening up other things. I always felt with the Miller teams, especially the ones that lost to Wisconsin, and I think it's fair to say that was the apex of the Miller era, those teams. You looked at them and they had great talent across the board, athletic talent, but you always felt that there wasn't really that, that shooting was never going to be there and that they were a little bit easier to guard. And here's what I mean. If I've got TJ McConnell, an NBA player, I got Nick Johnson, not really an NBA player, but a great college player, Aaron Gordon, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. The one thing that they all had in common is they couldn't really shoot. And if I know that I've got four guys out there that can't really shoot, it makes it a little bit easier to defend you. I'm not breaking anything new there. That's just kind of the way it is. So if you have two guys out there, look at this past year with Gonzaga, where you've got a Jalen Suggs and a Corey Kispert. If you have a total ability to be able to stretch the court like that, it makes things easier for the big men down low. It makes lanes more open for guys to penetrate. It just makes for aesthetically more pleasing basketball. And more so than anything like you talked about, it makes sense. We're talking about um, guys here and a guy transferring into the program who is a good shooter. The fascinating aspect about that, I think, is that Gonzaga last year scored more buckets than anybody by far from a possession and uh, percentage standpoint, not from three-point range, right. but from the uh, on the inside. They took easy looks precisely because of what you were talking about. They have an ability to hit from the outside, and they're also a very good passing team. And again, like we've talked about on a number of occasions, a team had a lot of talent and, and did some ridiculous things on the offensive end of the floor. 
That was obvious. That was clear. You're scoring 90, per, uh, 90 points a game at the college level. You know how to run good offense. So I think it becomes interesting to see how Lloyd deals with this group if they're more adept in the early stages at being outside shooters as opposed to then what can you do to be effective on the interior. And if you think about it, if you're a big man, isn't that more of what you want to play with? And again, this isn't to cast stones at anybody else. I'm just talking about kind of the modern era of college basketball. If I'm a big man, like what you saw at Gonzaga this past year, or, I mean, heck, you could even go past, you know, back when, you know, you had a Steve Kerr, a Sleem Stoudemire, whatever the case may be. If I know that when I get the ball, guess what? If I can pass, I'm going to be able to make teams pay. And generally... You saw it with Gonzaga. If you've got Corey Kispert, you've got Jalen Suggs, other guys out there that can shoot, it's going to be a lot more difficult to double-team Drew Timmy because guess what? I can dump the ball back out there. So you're going to get a lot more of one-on-one isolation opportunities. So if you've got guys that can shoot, I think it makes things a lot easier for the big men. And further to the point, I think it makes it easier to recruit big men. Oh, sure. Uh, I think it makes it easier to recruit, ultimately, people who like offense Mm -hmm. and can be good on the offensive end. And if they feel comfortable with the guy coaching them on that end of the floor, they like the idea of more than just the Arizona brand. They like the idea of a guy who can make you better on that end of the floor, which looks good. Every high school player does... What is it? 99 point blah, blah, blah percent of high school players who are out there aren't necessarily worried about, you know, that they're incredible defenders. Right, right. The the potential of them being incredible defenders is there, but they really like the idea, I think, of scoring 35 a game. Mm -hmm. That looks good. That gets them noticed. They're in highlights and so on and so forth. But if you have a guy who has a proven track record in a program that clearly knows what it wants to do offensively, That goes a long way, I think, toward uh, setting up opportunities to get good, talented, offensive players into this program, whether they're on the outside or whether they're uh, on the interior. And one of the so so what you're going to have, hopefully, for Arizona is five guys who can score. And then it doesn't matter whether you're a good offensive player on the outside or a good offensive player on the inside. You'll hopefully have a willingness to pass the ball because chances are pretty good you're going to get it back. And if you're a player on the inside, you'll have an opportunity knowing that they spread the floor effectively. If you kick it out, you might get it back in and have one of those isolation opportunities you were talking about. The great thing about having you on is that you've talked and you were up close for the majority of the Lute Olsen era. I think that's fair to say. You had access that... Not a lot of people just did. Now, I'm sure there were some, but, you know, you, sure. you, you, Absolutely you Carr, Moradich, all those guys, mm-hmm. Brad had up. The thing that always was interesting to me about a shooting perspective is when people talk about the great shooters at the U of A under the Olsen era, and the reason we're talking loot is because I think you're going to see more of that type of offense. Again, not quite the same thing, but more of that type of offense. Even, people always bring up the Steve Kerrs. They bring up the Salim Stoudemires to a lesser extent, the Damon Stoudemires, the great shooters. But it wasn't even so much that for me. It's that you always had three or four functional shooters. And let's use the let's use the championship team as an example. Mike Bibby wasn't a great shooter. He was a good shooter, not a great shooter per se. Jason Terry, I think kind of the same way. Michael Dickerson, kind of in that same ballpark. And it's just that they're not that knockdown, but they're good enough. It always felt that you had three or four guys there that were absolutely functional shooters. And I think that was what made part of the offense for Lutz so interesting is that, yes, 
you know what? There's a good chance that Miles Simon won't make that shot, but there's also a good chance down the court that he could make two threes in a row. And I think that's something that we haven't necessarily seen in a while. You know, one of the other things that I think is a little, if you if you trickle that down to one other level, the thing that offensively that among the many things that was impressive about how Olsen ran his offense, two players come to mind in terms of you were here when Luke Walton arrived mm-hmm. on campus. You were here when Reggie Geary arrived on campus. Mm-hmm. Can you think off the top of your head when they stepped on foot at the U of A in the modern era, two worst shooters from outside? No. No, I can't. But as they stuck with the program and grew and matured, they became functional outside shooters. Mm-hmm. When they got here, how in the crap was that possible? I there is no way. You, you know, you look at Reggie Geary, incredible athlete remarkably gifted, one of the few guys who um, cuts his teeth on the defensive yeah, end. Yeah, for sure. Uh, okay, but you can always play off him because he's never going to be an offensive threat, which, you know, helps defenses a little bit. Until his junior year and his senior year, Reggie Geary's is knocking down threes at a functional level. Mm-hmm. And Luke Walton's doing exactly the same thing. They were able to develop. If Lute Olsen could do that for players that struggled offensively at that stage of their career. Imagine what he could do to improve guys who had an offensive skill set. Lloyd, hopefully, from an Arizona perspective, is in a position where he can do a lot of the same things. Lloyd, I think, is a little bit more interesting and maybe a little bit more analytic. There, There are differences. One of the things that I like about Gonzaga's style is that I think they're very, and I talked about this at the top, there's a certain geometry component about them. They have an understanding of angles. Look at their, look at the way that they pass on the inside. It's never a direct bounce pass. It's almost a curvature bounce pass, or it's on the outside of somebody's left arm. It's kind of like a quarterback using the sideline to right, exactly, you know, to ward the off ball, the defender, ward off the defender it, yeah. and that sort of thing. And then that kind of positioning gives players an opportunity to get into position to to better their chances of scoring. I think you're going to see a lot of that offensively where Arizona players are in specific parts of the floor that are a little bit different than maybe we're accustomed. I think that's a good thing and makes it tough on defenses. And John Schuster has shown before that not only does he read rockauto.com, he has utilized rockauto.com, whereas I'm the guy that you know still trying to kind of utilize and figure out what to do. John, as you talked about before, you not only do you know rockauto.com, you can speak from experience as to how good they are. I certainly can. Yeah, Rock Auto is great. I had uh, I talked about on this on the podcast last week. Uh, I went to a mechanic, had a motor mount issue that needed to be fixed, uh, and he said, yeah, I can get the part for you, but why don't you just use rockauto.com? Come back to me. I'll charge you a labor fee. We're good to go. I had the part in, what, a day or two? Perfect. Easy to use the computer algorithm. It's not... It's not difficult at all. You go to rockauto.com and the rest takes care of itself. It really does. Thanks for keeping it locked on, Wildcats. I'm your host, Mike Luke, joined by John Schuster. A few little updates right here. Ty uh, Ty Washington, point guard we've been talking about, is probably going to be going to Kentucky. We're going to be talking about that a little bit later on, some of the recruiting back and forth right there. You've got a kid in Arthur Kaluma from Dream City, big man that I would imagine will probably end up at the U of A, and that's something that certainly is good. The proliferation of prep schools in Arizona is something that I wanted to hit on a little bit with you on this one, is that when you were, when you were covering loot, 
basically every, I think about three to four years, there was an in-state kid that you're like, oh, well, there you go. Sometimes a little bit longer, sometimes it was a little bit shorter. Sean Elliott, Sean Elliott comes around in 85. You get a guy in Deron Johnson, about 88, that has those expectations, not fair, which just wasn't that, just wasn't as good. Period. It happens. It, it happens mm-hmm. for sure. Right. Then you have a little bit of that window right there where you've got Mike Bibby, then you've got Richard Jefferson, then you got Channing Fry, then you got Lute Olson. I mean, excuse me, Lute Olson. Then you've got one of the great Arizona players of all time. All time, Lute Olson. Olson. Yes, Absolutely, exactly. unquestionably. And then you got Jared Bayless. <laughs> By the way, right. I'm making fun right now. I I actually wanted to mention this. I, I was listening to one of our podcasts last week, mm-hmm. where I said, and I had a complete vapor lock, mental vapor lock. And I'm driving down the road listening to the podcast, and I said something to the effect of the western portion of the Pac-12 conference. I have no idea what the crap I was talking about. So I apologize for listeners out there who are probably equally as confused as I was. But you know what almost really concerned me the I think most you were about talking that? about the California schools. That's, that's what there I There you go. That, that's it. I'm, right. I'm going to go with that. I think one of two things happened. One, you didn't call me on it, which means that either I was rambling too much mm-hmm. and you would just shut out. Or two, you were too busy with your built bar read and weren't paying attention to what it was I was ultimately saying. So I promise in future podcast endeavors, I'm not going to try to say things like the Western portion of the Pac-12, among other reasons, because it's a really long viral hashtag and none of us need that. Now, we're going to talk a little bit tomorrow more about the recruiting aspect and about how I think people need to kind of set aside a little bit of expectations, but to kind of lay the groundwork there, when you were covering Lute Olson, and we always, and we've talked about it quite a bit on the show, and we'll continue to talk about it, the first major, major recruit in my lifetime that I remember that it was just like, wow, was Mike Beebe, mainly because of how highly he was ranked, he was in-state, this and that. When it came to territorial recruiting, what was Lute Olson? Was did he basically? Did he? What was his strategy? Did he basically just want to have? I'm going to get the best kids where I can. Did he say, "All right, I'm going to lock down Arizona every four years, and you know what? I'm going to take the tertiary kids from the LA area." How exactly was he able to cobble together some of these rosters that we saw that turned out to be some of the most talented in college basketball? One of the things that Olson, I think, did better than and. And I've heard a lot of folks joke about this phrase more recently from the Rich Rodriguez era. Mm -hmm. When Rodriguez was struggling for recruits, the running joke became the OK, uh, the our our kind of of guys thing, which was sort of PR... Uh, PR propaganda for we're not getting the recruits we ultimately want to get, so we're trying to spin it in a way to get people in the program that we ultimately want. One of the things that I think Olsen did very well, while he had areas that he wanted to you know, work on, certainly Southern California, you know, California in general, uh, keep an eye out on you know, what you're doing in-state when there's a player here that's good, you've built the brand name and so forth. He was excellent at understanding and analyzing the type of player that he thought could fit well in his system. And those are, I think, the ones that he ultimately went after. So if he isn't going to beat Kentucky for a kid or Kansas for a kid or Carolina for a kid uh, or UCLA at its height for a kid, he's going to be able to look at the next level ranked talent and figure out how that guy can fit into his system 
and then make up the difference if you lost out on let's you know a, a recruit here. Or there. Let's use a Jason Terry for example, mm-hmm. Northwestern kid, kind of the epitome of if rankings were out today or back then, probably a top. 100 kids somewhere in that a regional recruit probably washington was committed to for a while probably could have gone to oregon something like that if he wanted to when when jason terry came to town what was your expectations when you first watched him what did you immediately think okay that's what i think he could project to be and what ultimately do you think that lute olson looked at him saying that's why i want that guy uh, the, the the work ethic the emotion the positivity i think you know and obviously you have to be a good athlete on top of that you see you you see potential out there there are certain physical aspects that he likes he likes the athleticism and ability you know he likes longer players too mm, sure. and, and and terry kind of fit into that mold you know so i what's terry six two mm-hmm. yeah somewhere like that but he probably has a six, much six longer wingspan exactly right. all that sort of thing and that plays very well as far as Olsen was concerned, but there's a lot of there, there's a lot of that gritty sort of competitiveness. There's a lot of that positivity. There's a lot of that willingness to work that I think Olsen was attracted to. And then, but in terms of what Terry ultimately became, uh, I don't know that Olsen saw that. See, I but think- once it got to that, you know, maybe once he got on campus. You know, there there was something there that he figured out on the fly and said, yeah, this guy can be, this guy can do some things that maybe I didn't anticipate. And I don't want this to come off as a slight to Reggie Geary because, again, I, at least in my lifetime, I think Reggie's the best defensive player that I've ever seen in the school. I think that's hard to argue. I've never seen a guy that could literally guard Allen Iverson mm-hmm. one game and then guard Jalen Rose the next. Yeah. So that that's yeah. so what I'm about to say is not a slight, but I think that Lute always had a baseline of what he was hoping somebody would be. And Jason Terry, you got to remember, comes in kind of at a crossing over the Reggie Geary time. I think Lute looked at Re, or Jason Terry and said, "I'd like him to be my next Reggie Geary." Because Reggie's going to be moving on. They're both about the same. You know, they both kind of got the, the long arms. He doesn't have the bounce that Reggie did. Might be a little bit quicker, whatever the case may be. But I always think that that was kind of the baseline foundation for what he wanted from a player. And then, oh, by the way, if you can average 21 points a game as your senior, I'll take it. Same thing with, say, a Miles Simon. I think that he looked at Miles in that, Miles Simon, and he says, I think he can be my gritty two guard that can probably get me 14 15 a game be that fringe all-conference guy and oh by the way if you want to become an all-american and a final four mvp i think he had an ability that's very rare and it's going to be interesting to see what if how tommy lloyd does to have a baseline expectation because i think those baseline expectations for players over about a 10-year window almost always hit and generally what happened is they even went above and beyond additionally one of the things with miles Simon that i think was attractive to lute olsen is that he just hated to lose. Mm-hmm. And that competitive fire, which became clear uh, as U of A fans were watching him play, is not always something that's easy to find uh, with a lot of athletes, regardless of what their rating ultimately is. And, and that was something. That's the area of grit that I think played for Olsen and that Olsen recognized as Simon was a sophomore and junior in high school. Now, if you're like us and you're enthused about the Tommy Lloyd era, the one thing that you should be doing is getting in on betonline.ag. 
Because again, they're going to have all your wins, losses. They're going to have pretty much everything there. I like losing a little bit of money. If you're listening to the podcast, you're probably a little bit smarter than me. So you're probably about winning money. And betonline.ag is the place that you want to go. Thanks for keeping it locked on, Wildcats. And tomorrow, we're going to talk about realistic expectations for recruiting. And we're going to go back and forth a little bit on what they should be, looking at the height of the Lute Olsen era, comparing and contrasting it to Sean Miller and what Gonzaga's done. For John Schuster, I'm Mike Luke. You've been listening to Locked On Wildcats.